was a senior in high school, our government teacher took us to downtown Flint to the IMA Auditorium to hear a speaker. Turns out that all the schools in the county had sent school bus loads of students to hear the speaker. His name was Ralph Nader, and he was the scourge of General Motors, and we in Flint were in the hometown, the birthplace of General Motors. So to hear Ralph Nader speak to almost 10,000 people in the birthplace of his sworn enemy uh, was quite a moment. And I remember being so inspired by his speech and so moved and almost deciding <laughs> at that moment that I had to live a different kind of life. I had to I had to be active in a way that nobody had really taught us to be as a citizen of this country. But that day, that stuck with me forever. And Ralph Nader, to me, was a hero. Years later, years later, I found myself out of a job. And um, Ralph Nader heard about that and uh, said, come to D.C., I'll work for me. I'll give you a job. And that's what I did. I went to Washington, D.C., and I worked at Ralph's headquarters for a couple of years. It was really an exciting time. I learned a lot. I put out a, a little weekly media uh, critique newsletter called uh, Moore's Weekly, and he funded it and uh, provided the office space and the staff, and it was quite a good thing. But through my adult years, I've also had a... <laughs> A complicated relationship with Ralph Nader and um, after a couple of years there at his headquarters and I decided to make my first movie Roger and me about Flint and General Motors he didn't like that and uh, said that it was time to end the the endeavor and so I was once again out of a job and continued making the film uh, collecting unemployment uh, while making it uh, no income and when the film came out and had become a, you know, a big hit, people in his office publicly were critical of the film. And it really shocked me. It was kind of a, it felt like a, some kind of weird betrayal. I never understood it. But then you can't try to figure Ralph out. Uh, it's just not the way it works uh, with him. But over the years, he continued to do all the good work that he had done so many things that people today forget or not don't even know that we wouldn't have things like an environmental protection agency, like a, uh, a national highway uh, safety department of transportation, uh, all these rules and regulations and things to save lives and, and uh, protect our food and water and all on and on and on. I can't, I, it would take the rest of the podcast to tell you all the good that, Ralph Nader has done in all the lives, lives he has saved, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of lives. There never would have been a seatbelt in a car or an airbag. There wouldn't be, oh my God, I could just go down the hole again. It's, you get the point. And so when he decided to run for president in uh, 2000, and because I, at that time, and actually for a decade or two before that time, had been writing about and talking about the situation with our environment, with our planet. Nobody was talking about this stuff, and uh, Ralph was, and uh, and the Green Party was, and I thought the Green Party was a good idea, that the Democratic Party needed a something on its left to nudge it, push it, poke it, do whatever was needed to be done to try and create a more equitable society and try to save this planet. And so Ralph's idea was that we have to have a, the Green Party on the ballot in every state. And the way to do that is so all we need is 5% of the vote. 5% of all Americans who vote voted for the Green Party. Green Party would stay on the ballot uh, throughout the country. That's not 5% per state. It just it was a, a, a combined 5% of all. So in other words, let's say you know nobody voted for the Green Party in, in 20 states, but in the other 30 states, it equaled 5% of the total vote of the whole country, then the Green Party existed. And his plan was is that he would go and campaign in the states that would not hurt the Democratic uh, candidate. In this case, it was Al Gore. So he would campaign in states like California, New York, 
states that were already going to go blue or red, you know, Republican or Democrat, Texas, you know, campaign there. You know, there's no way that uh, the Democrat was going to win Texas. Actually, most of the South, but not campaign in the swing states uh, where it might hurt uh, Al Gore. And so I and, oh, geez, a whole bunch of people, you know, well-known people, people much more well-known than I was, uh, Eddie Vedder, Pearl Jam, and uh, Patti Smith, and, um, oh, geez, a whole bunch of people got on board the bus to go and speak at rallies, to play at rallies uh, for Ralph. We had great turnouts. Things were going fine in them. It was time for the debate commission to decide who would get to be at the presidential, who would get to be on the stage at the presidential debates. And Al Gore was insisting that Ralph Nader not be allowed on the stage, um, obviously because he was afraid it would it would hurt him. But again, the, the Nader strategy was not to hurt him, was just to go and campaign in the states where it was kind of a, you know, already decided who, you know, was going to win that state. But once Gore went about, convincing successfully the debate commission to not let Ralph Nader in the debates. That's when things went awry for Ralph and Ralph no longer cared about helping Gore or not hurting Gore and decided to start campaigning in the swing states. And um, this went back on what he had promised to do to myself and to others. And so a bunch of us got off the bus. We couldn't support that. Um, we couldn't allow George W. Bush to become president of the United States. Um, I was so <laughs> terrified that what Ralph was doing was going to hurt uh, Gore and help Bush that in the last week before the 2000 election, I put together my own tour of the one state I thought this was going to come down to, Florida. And I um, went from city to city throughout Florida, and I built the tour as a Nader voter asks you to vote for Gore. And my pitch was, look, I live in New York State. Gore's going to win New York State by a huge margin. So I have the luxury of voting for Ralph Nader, and I will vote for Ralph Nader in uh, New York State. But you in Florida, it's way too close here, and you don't have that luxury. If you like Ralph and you're for Ralph, I'm asking all the Nader voters in Florida uh, to please vote for Al Gore. And on... One of my last, one of the last nights there before the election, I was in Tallahassee, and the next morning I woke up and I walked out onto the onto the street, and walking right by me on the uh, promenade was Governor Jeb Bush, <laughs> and he sees me and I see him, and he walks over to me and he holds out his hand to shake shake my hand, and he says to me, "How much did the Democrats pay you to come down here?" And I said, "Not enough." <laughs> Of course, they didn't pay me anything, but the headline that morning in the Tallahassee newspaper was something to the effect of Nader, Nader supporter Moore, colon, vote Gore. It was like on the front page. Of the, so Bush had seen that. And, you know, this is not, of course, what the Bush people wanted. They wanted all the Nader voters in Florida to get out there and vote for Nader. And here I was crisscrossing the state telling Nader voters, as a Nader voter myself, that in Florida, you can't do that. You got to vote for Gore. You cannot let Bush get into the White House. So was I successful? Well, yes. <laughs> Once they finally counted all the votes a year later, uh, they realized that Gore had, in fact, uh, won. But Daddy Bush's uh, judges, justices on the Supreme Court, uh, put an end to the vote counting in Florida, uh, wouldn't let the vote be finished, and then voted and ruled in favor of Sonny's candidacy. So Bush's appointees to the Supreme Court ended up essentially guaranteeing and saying that the new president of the United States would be George W. Bush. And that was that. Well, of course, a lot of people ended up blam blaming Ralph Nader uh, for this. But of course, they were making the assumption that Ralph's voters, if there had been no Green Party on the ballot, uh, would have voted for Gore. And I knew that was a false assumption because a lot of these green voters uh, will never vote for a Democrat and they would have stayed home. Nonetheless, um, that became the the mantra and uh, people were filled with hate toward Ralph Nader. I didn't catch a whole lot of crap from people, mainly because I had made it very clear that uh, in the swing states you had to vote for Gore. And then I, on my own dime, 
did my own tour in the week leading up to the election of Florida to try and make sure that that state would not vote, not only not vote for Bush, but not vote for Nader either. And I, you know, again, it felt really let down by Ralph. And maybe that's on me. That that part I'm guilty of, that I, I made the assumption that Ralph wouldn't do uh, what he did. But he was angry. He had a right to be angry. He shouldn't have been kept out of the debates. Nonetheless, um, we ended up with Bush, and then we ended up in a horrific war. We also were attacked uh, in when Bush was notified a month before the 9-11 attacks that Osama bin Laden was planning to attack the United States, uh, probably via uh, airplanes. Uh, he was on vacation and chose to pay no attention to the memo that he received from the National Security Agency. And, uh, and so there was no preparation uh, and everyone caught off guard on 9-11-2001. Um, so you know the rest of the story. You know how it all went down. And it made the idea that if Ralph had cost the election um, feel even worse uh, to anybody who had anything to do with it. Um, but especially to Ralph, and he became persona non grata, and, and uh, nobody, um, you know, he was no longer invited on to talk shows. He was not invited to anything. He was a pariah. And um, he and I didn't talk to each other for a very, very, very long time. Um, it was, uh, really the second time that I'd been, I'd been let down by him, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a big boy. I realize this is how politics works. Um, you can't take any of this too personally and it really isn't personal. It's not about me. It's about what happened to this country and it's what happened to the world as a result of having George W. Bush as president of the United States. And so there I was two weeks ago. Not even two weeks ago, hopped on a train to D.C. I wanted to be there for the impeachment. Didn't know if we could get in. Went to the uh, office of uh, on the Capitol Hill of our congressman from Flint, Dan Kildee, to see if he could get me tickets to get in. And as I opened the door to enter his office, there is Ralph Nader right there. It kind of, I was in shock for a minute, and... Um, I shook his hand and greeted him, and we got talking a little bit uh, about what he was doing and what was going on. He was going to, from door to door to different members of Congress to give them his new book. This is on impeachment day. He's literally delivering books to members of Congress. But I had heard over the years from members that actually they talked to Ralph and his staff quite often. Ralph is still going 20 years after that, that uh, fateful election in the year 2000. Here's Ralph Nader, still at work. Still, He's 85 years old, still doing this, still fighting the fight, and still having his staff do all this research, and they used this research. Um, I mean, members of Congress are using research done by Ralph's office. This has been going on for years. Public doesn't know this, but, they, but they've maintained, especially certain Democrats have maintained a relationship with his office because of because he's the man, he's the guy that's done the work, he's the guy that does the research, and all the people, all the young people in his office that do all this work, all the young women and men there that, that um, do this research and share it with Congress, all in the interest of helping us, you and me. And there was Ralph, right there, standing there on impeachment day. And um, I said, so what have you been up to? And he said, well, a number of things. I'm I'm really working, really fighting Boeing now with the 737 Max jets. You know, the two that crashed and one in Ethiopia, one in Indonesia. And I thought, yeah, that's that sounds like something Ralph would be doing. He'd be trying to do something to make sure these planes are safe. And and Dan was standing there, uh, Congressman. He said, you know, it sounds like an idea for a book, unsafe at any altitude. We all kind of laughed and thought that was <laughs> actually that would be a good book. And then Ralph said to us, my, my great niece was on the plane in Ethiopia that crashed and she died. And it got kind of quiet in the office there. I said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that, Ralph. He said, no, she was really, she was 24, she was... She was a good woman. She was there helping people in Africa, and, and um, she's dead now because of a, a corporation decided to 
cut some corners and save some money uh, in this kind of corporate serial killing of the people that died on these two crashes. And um, his eyes kind of welled up and he, he said, I'm not going to let them get away with this. And I said, hey, um, I know we're supposed to go, <laughs> go over to the impeachment. It's happening right now. You know, do you have a half hour? Um, I'd love to sit down. I'm doing it. I have my podcast equipment with me. I said, would you, would you do a podcast with me right now? I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you and catch up after the, all these years. And he said, yeah, sure. And I said, I said to the congressman, come, do you mind if we use your office here? And he said, no, sure. Come right in, come right in here and give some privacy. And we sat down and we spoke, uh, for the first time and for any given length of time in almost, um, almost 20 years. And, um, and that's what you're going to hear now, my half hour or so with um, an old comrade, a fighter for the common good, and someone who I want to ask you listening to this, I want you to consider that perhaps, maybe, maybe it's time to forgive Ralph. It's time for some redemption. Ralph would probably say that he doesn't need any forgiveness, and he in some ways might be right, but I think that we need everybody now, all hands on deck, to get rid of Trump. And in this interview, you'll hear that um, he knows that too. And at the end of it, well, you'll hear. I came to my own conclusions about my own complicated history with Ralph Nader. And I'm really happy to share this kind of um, rollicking, somewhat intimate conversation with him here on Rumble with Michael Moore. So now I'm in the uh, Cannon office building uh, here on Capitol Hill. Uh, the House office building. Uh, this is uh, for a certain number of uh, representatives have their offices uh, right across the street uh, from the House of Representatives. And I, uh, I, I ducked into uh, our congressman uh, from Flint, Michigan, uh, Dan Kildee, and uh, to see him. And coming out of the door was none other than Ralph Nader. And uh, it was uh, both stunning and wonderful to see him. It's been a number of years uh, since uh, I've seen Ralph in person. And uh, I asked him if he would just sit down with me here in Representative Kildee's office. And he graciously, the representative allowed us to, um, to sit in here and, and talk to Mr. Nader for a few minutes. Ralph, uh, uh, welcome, first of all, to my podcast. And uh, how, are, how are you uh, celebrating uh, Impeachment Day here in uh, D.C.? Well, uh, too many of the Democrats uh, are prefacing their remark, Michael, by saying this is a sad day. It's not a sad day. It's a glorious day to hold uh, uh, President Trump, lawless outlaw that he is, buffoon, ignorant, narcissistic, racist, sexist, sexual predator, serial liar, inciter to violence, uh, just for starters. Is that all you got, Ralph, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it, you're right. It, it, it's always a glorious day whenever we take our Constitution and enact its powers in favor of the people. But it's, it is on the level that it's sad on is that we, the people, should not have had to suffer for three years with this individual who's in the White House and what he's been doing. And, and, and I'm not talking about just the big stuff that we all know about yeah. why he's being impeached. Yeah. I'm talking about every day his administration has cut out a regulation out of the EPA, has given over more of our public lands to, to oil and gas companies. I mean, you just go down the list. He's made our oceans uh, more dangerous. He's not, I mean, these things don't even appear on the news anymore because we're so consumed with the fact that he conspired with people in another country to rig the next election. The Democrats went with a narrow uh, assault. Uh, basically, they went with the Ukraine, which doesn't move the public opinion needle, important as that is in terms of influencing the next election. But they had 10 other arrows in their quiver. He's impeaching himself in one area after another. The gross contempt of Congress beyond the Ukraine, number one. 
the spending money uh, that's not authorized, that violates the power of the purse that would have outraged James he did, Madison. He, he did that. Yep. Uh, the emoluments enriching yep. himself, lawless wars Every overseas. Day. Yep. And the other one, which you alluded to, he is shredding the life-saving protections and the health protections of the American people by disabling and dismantling EPA and yeah. Occupational Safety and Health Administration, yes. the Auto Safety Agency, crushing the civil servants, pushing out the scientists. Why isn't that an impeachable offense? That was right in the House Judiciary Report, Michael. They made a big deal out of the defiant yes. refusal to enforce the law. He's turned, you know, he's turned the U.S. government over to the pollution poison lobby can, and can, the greed lobby. I can tell you why they chose this route. I'm not in on yeah. the inner circle of how they made the yeah. decision to do the impeachment. But I think, look, you, you know, it's kind of like a comedian has to know the room. You have to read the room. And I think Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats correctly read the room that that list, I cut you off. There's a 30 or 40 more yeah. things yeah. on that list. It's so many things the American people who work hard every day. Many of them work two jobs. A few, some of them work three jobs. Uh, they're barely able to keep their heads above water to try to keep track, to try to focus the American public around 40 articles of impeachment. I mean, it's like it's like me asking you right now, name the 32 teams in the NFL. Go ahead, Ralph. Yeah. I'm waiting. Yeah. Go ahead. Can yeah. you name them? No. There's, I can name a lot of them. But yeah, a right. lot of them. Yeah, you're but right. that's the you point. Know, it's like, that in order yeah. for this to work. You know, it's like Michael Schmidt of the New York Times said on Meet the Press, the Democrats haven't been able to get their arms around this guy. He's, right. he's always uh, 10 lies ahead of them, Yes, uh, t 10 uh, insults yes. ahead of them, violating this, violating that. Doesn't spend any time on the government overseeing his crooks, his yeah. corrupt heads yeah. of, of these agencies. And they're going to give him a pass. You know what he's going to say? He's going to say Nancy Pelosi had the majority. She could have passed all those wild charges that I violated the Constitution. But she didn't do it. And don't you know why? Because it's all lies. It's all fake. I didn't do anything wrong. He's going to say that a thousand times. I love your Trump impersonation. Um, yeah. That, but no, but that, is, that is, but that is the genius of him. And, I, and I've tried to say this from the beginning. Yeah. When I first said before the election that he was going to win. I mean, I live in Michigan. I could see what was going on. And, and of course, he showed up. He, was, he had a rally every week leading up to the election. And, and, uh, and Hillary, unfortunately, only came once or twice to Michigan, didn't go at all to Wisconsin. And, um, and I, so I, just, I went to a couple of his rallies, and I'm like, wow, he, this guy is good. And if you don't respect your opponent, yep. if you don't actually have some sort of, I don't know what the word is, not admiration, but some sort of understanding of who the enemy is. Know thy adversary. Well, and I think simple. a lot of liberals just wanted to go, oh, Trump, no one's going to vote for him. It's going to be know? a coronation. It's going to, reality show, reality show. People yeah. love reality shows. Yeah. He was on for 14 seasons. Yeah. You know how many seasons I was on with my show? Four. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Seinfeld, what did he get? Seven or eight? I'm telling you, friends, maybe a dozen, maybe, I don't think a dozen. But Trump, 14 seasons. And, and out where I live, I understood why, you know, we don't know Trump. We don't know Trump in Michigan. Who's Trump? We don't know anything about Queens. We don't even know what Queens yeah, yeah. is. Here's what we know about Queens. Archie Bunker was from there and Trump. That's it. Two bigots on a different size of the economic scale. Uh, that's all we know about Queens. Well, you know, I just put out a book with Mark Green called Fake President on Trump. And my echo, epilogue is directed to the Trump voter. It's called Fake President. Fake President. Fake President. Why, why are they writing off the Trump voter? If they read the epilogue, you get my take on how to convey and communicate with Trump voters, who he has betrayed a thousand ways. That's a great title. By the way, it's a little redundant. If, you, if I can say, you know, <laughs> you, you, now when you say president, you don't need to say fake. We already know the fakery that's going on. There are 100,000 workers exposed to silicosis, yeah. and he's, 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 he's breaking the protection of OSHA, and they're dying. Do you want to try to actually convince Trump voters to change their minds? Yeah, wow, that's a lot of work. I, I did that the first year, and yeah. I think a lot of, you know, 8 million yeah. Obama voters yeah. voted for Trump. Yeah. Okay, so we can reach out and we can convince them. Uh, to, to, I know a lot of them, people in Flint and Saginaw and Detroit uh, who didn't like Trump at, really at all, not, certainly not personally, but they wanted to throw a hand grenade or a Molotov into the system that had let them down. 
And so Trump appeared to, Bernie appeared to be that to people too. So yeah, but he it, also, um, Michael, he also lied like crazy. He was going to get him more manufacturing jobs. It's a lie. He was going to get him cleaner air, water, and health insurance. A lie. He was going to cut their taxes. A lie. He cut the taxes for the rich, created a deficit, drained the money for the repair of the infrastructure, and sent the bills to the children and grandchildren of America, and including their grandchildren. Would they ever tolerate uh, having a relationship with a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker who is that kind of monster, immoral monster, liar, sexual predator? You know, they. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't buy this. I think what's happened is they hated the alternative so much, and they hated Washington turning their back on them so much that they, they saw this bomb thrower, yeah. and they said, we're going we're gonna to send our votes to him. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what that is what happened. But now the people that are for Trump, three after watching him for three years, if they're still for him, I think the whatever energy we have left in us, because we're all filled with this despair, there's a malaise yeah. that's across the country right now. All our focus has to be on getting out the people on our side, the people who believe in these things that we believe in. Don't stay home this time. Let's come out. Let's get everybody out. Uh, it's uh, all about getting the vote out of the yeah. non-voters. There's going to be 110 million non-voters. Largest political party in America, right. the non-voting party. You get 10 million out in seven states and start in August, September, yes. October, yes. developing Boom. relationships. Boom. We win. Mic drop. Yeah. Yes. Hot luck suppers. And then you, you give them transportation to the polls. Yes. That's how I want our energy to be focused yeah. in this coming year. Those of us, who, those who are listening to this now, you've got a conservative brother-in-law. You've just had Thanksgiving dinner with him last month. You're going to have Christmas dinner again. Maybe you'll get through it again. Maybe you won't. Maybe he shouldn't be invited, you know, just because the children are at the table and they don't need to hear these, uh, you know, comments, bigoted comments. But, but Ralph, I just, I, I don't know. I think my, my energy now is just getting out our people, getting out the non-voters. Yeah. Have you heard of this movement in Kentucky, Ditch Mitch? No, no. Well, this? it's a nonprofit, civic, get out the vote. And they've, got, they've already raised $5 million. They've got staff all over Kentucky. Wow. And they don't, they, they don't trust the Democrats to be the worst campaigner in modern American history. Well, how are they going to ditch him? How are they going to ditch him then? They're, because they're going for a Democrat. Because they're going to the Democrat who's challenging was a former fire pilot. She uh -huh. thinks she doesn't need any co-pilots, right? Mm, so okay. they think she's going to make the same mistake trying to be both ways in Kentucky, you know, oh, no. Republican Democrat. Yeah. So they're saying we're going to get out an independent mass turnout of votes now to vote for who? Well, they're not saying, but they know to vote against McConnell. Yeah, but all those votes have got to go yeah. into one pot. Yeah, to get but him that's out obvious. of there. That's obvious. Yeah. Okay, you don't want to state the obvious. Yeah. I'll state it for you. Yeah. You have to vote for the Democrat. Yeah. Okay, we can say that. Hey, we can but, go back a long way, <laughs> you and I. Okay, no, seriously. People still come up to me on the street yeah. who remember, you know, the Green Party and all yeah, this, yeah. and they're like, you know, still yelling at me. And this, this guy who runs Ditch yeah. Mitch, he's got the model for the country. Which is what? Which is civic, parallel, get out the vote. You don't have to beg the Democrats. Phone banks don't work, you know, a few days before the election. They don't know how to get out the vote. So you have a parallel movement, Florida, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, to get out the vote. Now, you have Bloomberg's willing to put millions of dollars. That's what he But he, he really doesn't know how to do it. No, no. He thinks just ads? No. You have people on the ground, in the neighborhoods. You get yeah, the influentials. Right. No, I'm going to have develop relationships. I'm going to have him on my podcast here uh, yeah. uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, and uh, I'm going to tell him, Mike, all right, your job in this election, you're the bank. You're the bank. And uh, that's what you need to do. Not run for president. Yeah. Just be the bank. And, and you're like the ATM machine for Democrats who are running for uh, ballot proposals on gun control and whatever. Mike Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Mike Bloomberg. I'm the bank. That's that's his job. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I just want to say before, you know, it's, it's so wonderful running into you and we're, we're heading back over to the uh, to the gallery there. It's too bad they don't have songs at the end of the vote. They should play America the Beautiful. Yeah. You know, I thought when when Nancy Pelosi went up and she had the American flag there at the beginning, I thought she was going to ask everybody to stand and do that or the Pledge of Allegiance or something to just, look, can we just acknowledge that this country actually did stand for something, that we are about something, that we're still a work in progress and we're going to have our finest hour today 
by doing what we're doing. And 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 you'll um, be around too. It's going to be around too. Well, I'll tell you around. Can I just say around too is, and I'll tell the Democrats I run into here today. After after this is done today, I know you all want to go home for Christmas. We ought to let Congresswoman but, Slutkin uh, go on the offensive. Teach her how to go on the offensive. Yeah. Michigan because okay. they're putting her on the defense. No, I know, I know. And those ten moderates changed the whole ball game. Because Nancy wants the job back. She spent and she's a lot of time. Narrow. She spent a lot of time in the CIA. Yeah. I know her. I'm, I'm. I am planning to have a little bit of during the holidays. I'll have some kind of. Yeah. You know, there's there's the thing we have to. You know, when you're ex CIA, you've got to go through a kind of a relearn learning. Give her the book. Uh, fake program. New, fake president. We're going to stop but, by her office. Oh, that's good. This listen, is this Ralph. is this is this gets you on the offensive against Trump. You don't win by being defensive. The second thing that the Democrats have to do as soon as this vote is done is. There are, I think, close to 250 bills that this House has passed. I want people, first of all, to know the people who came out, the non-voters came out yeah. in the off-year election. They came out and they made this, they made this a Democratic House and they put a lot of women in. And, and if they don't see any result from that, I don't know if they'll come back again and vote. I need them to come back and vote. I need them to know at least that the Democrats passed 250 bills. And HR one, the very first bill that got passed, you campaign, know this campaign you, finance. This is like something you wrote yeah. forty years ago yeah. about how our elections are run, how it's how they're how it should be simple and easy for people to be able to vote instead of all the roadblocks. Yeah. And why doesn't the Senate? They've not passed a single one of these bills. They won't pass them. They won't even talk about them. This has been a very active, very busy House. Uh, session and all this stuff just sits on Mitch McConnell's desk and and, and we they all, don't know they don't know how to nail him with with the names of the bills they just say two hundred bills are over there he hasn't signed okay. them well this podcast we have a, we're gonna have a special section on this podcast uh, called pass the bills and uh, not pass the buck pass the bills and and we are gonna name the bills if they don't actually have a real name you know for like you know op operation you know a fog the, of the war the way the Republicans have. Yeah. That, well, I'll have I'm, clean, I got names the, for all of them. The clean estuary bill by I, the Republicans is to poison the estuary. Exactly. Right. So, so, but this is where this is where our side. We always need a little help, which is yeah. weird that we have a communication problem when we are we, we are the writers, the communicators, the artists, all the things they rail against Hollywood, etc. And and somehow we're unable to often communicate what this really says in very very simple. Well, you language. remember what Kevin Phillips said. The Republicans go for the jugular and the Democrats go for the capillaries. Yeah. <laughs> They're much more aggressive with less evidence. I know that's because we're, we're kinder people. You know, we don't juggle, go for the jugular, you, you know, all that blood sprays everywhere and people die. You don't want, we don't want anybody to die. We, you know, we, we, we actually, we are filled with a, a heart that has love in it. I believe Nancy Pelosi when she says this. That there that that she was raised this way. I do believe for Trump mean, to say mean, that she doesn't pray. In the meantime, I actually believe she prays. And listen, I as you know have yeah. not been over the years yeah. a big supporter yeah. of Nancy Pelosi. But I want I seriously want to start a GoFundMe page to build a statue to her uh, just because. But in the meantime, she has pulled this off. Yeah, but my, it's Michael, been amazing. This business of admit caution, it, it's been yeah. amazing to watch. This business of how caution, she's done this. This business of caution by Nancy's cost. Four, she's lost four out of five last congressional election. Nope, this that's, is that's the past, Ralph. This is the, this is the new Nancy. Argument. The future is this. this is Nancy. Dealing, she's older than Bernie. You're dealing. Just, just saying. You're dealing. Democrats are dealing with a corrupt government of corporatism, militarism, and nepotism. Correct. What are they waiting for? Right. Well, I think that this day today is a turning point in that, and and many of them. If John F. Kennedy was alive and if he was writing a sequel to Profiles in Courage, these 15-plus uh, Democrats that are running in districts that Trump won in 16, it's been a real profile in courage so far today to hear them stand up there and say what they've said, knowing it could cost them the election. And they put their country and they put truth and honesty ahead of their own political agenda and their career. That's been a powerful thing to see today. And I'm guessing it's inspired other members of Congress to like, you know, this is not my time to just sit back yeah. and be quiet. So we're, we're here on actually a, a historic day. And I think many For epiphanies sure. are taking place, not just on the House floor, not just in the gallery, but all across this country. And, and we are going to we're going to zoom out of the gate. Everybody's going to be talking to their families over the holidays. And, and this will have been an exhilarating moment. For all of us, I truly, truly believe that. And as you know, I you can't get more pessimistic than me. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hear me out when I say but this, this is just the first step. We have to have round two. 
with all the other articles of impeachment that have destroyed the Constitution, imperiled the Republic, because otherwise he's going to get away with it and he's going to glow all the way through to Election Day. Who do you predict is going to win in November? You predicted right in 2016 when you said Trump was going to win. Everybody laughed at you. Well, it's not next November, and I'm not a, a soothsayer. Okay. If the election were today, who would win? Yeah. I hate to say it, Donald J. Trump. Huh. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Here's, here's what I actually believe. If the election were today, Hillary won by 3 million votes in the popular vote. The Democrat, whoever the Democrat would be on the ballot tonight, uh, that Democrat would win the popular vote by 4 to 5 million votes and trump could still win selected by the electoral college exactly which the republicans the democrats have lost two elections since 2000 because they won the popular vote locks the electoral college and you still can't get them to go after the electoral college and join the the national popular vote i'll be the first to say that as a citizen of this country i should have been organizing something the day after uh bush's the, the supreme court that was appointed by bush's dad yeah appointed the sunny boy as president of the United States, while they were still counting the ballots in Florida. Just one more example of how we don't have a true democracy. And I should have the next day with others. You should. We all should have done this. We should have. We should have uh, made the uh, the uh, the attempt to get rid of the electoral college back then. You know, it's underway now. They got over. No, no. It's called the national popular vote. We may not be able to get rid of the electoral college, Hmm. but we have enough states now. Do you know about the stand of the national popular vote? There's been enough states now with 196 electoral votes. We only need 270. That's right. 100 have passed this law that says. Our state's electors will go to whoever wins the popular vote nationwide. Even if our state didn't vote for that person, we believe the person in the White House should be the person the American people wanted. We've got enough states that have passed that law to equal 196 electoral votes. And the Democratic Party is not making a big deal out of this. So there's only 74 more. Yeah, what I've said to Republicans is, you want to support this because this could come back on you someday. You're going to wish that the popular vote yeah, right. was the was the real vote. So if anybody listening to this, look up nationalpopularvote.org. Um, it's it's a really good idea. We're only 74 electoral votes away, states that hold those votes. It was proposed and run by Steve Silverstein, an entrepreneur from, uh, from San Francisco. He's got seven staff, and they've gotten all these bills through California, Illinois, Connecticut, Maryland, seven staff. It's a lot easier than we think. Before we go, I want to just say this. Uh, you brought up the 2000 vote where you, uh, you were running the Green Party. And, and, of course, you know you have heard this since then. People blame you and this and that and whatever. Because Except of- Gore doesn't. He knows who he's. Well, he, he's well, got 10 others to blame. That, no, that's what I was just going to tell you. So I was speaking in Nashville a few years ago. And he heard I was speaking there. And he called me up, got my number somehow, and... and, and, and uh, he said, why don't you come, come over for breakfast tomorrow if you're going to still be here. Uh, Tipper and I will, will make you breakfast. I said, oh, wow, great. Free food, you know, me, right? So anyway, so I, uh, I went over there the next morning. Uh, my other sister uh, uh, went with me. And we sat there uh, on stools in the kitchen as, as uh, he and, and Tipper made the ham and eggs and really wonderful breakfast. And I said to him, I said, um, Geez, I'm just wondering how you feel, whether it's about me or anybody, uh, uh, about the election. Uh, you know, do you blame Ralph uh, for your loss? And he said to me, absolutely not. He said, that is the absolute wrong way to look at it. I blame me. I blame me. Why? He said, I didn't allow President Clinton to go around and campaign for me. And he started listing these. Arkansas. These, yeah. Even in Arkansas. If you won Arkansas, you've been president. Done. Exactly. So he... He won the popular vote, remember, by 500,000. He won the popular vote. It was stolen from him in in Florida in in seven different ways. Yes. And then the Supreme Court, Scalia, 5-4. Yes. Judicial coup d'etat. Yes. Put put Bush in office. He said that he wishes that people um, were not angry at you. They should be angry at him. And he said, and this is what he said to me, he said, because... In the end, Mike, um, it's my responsibility to convince you or anybody who is thinking of voting for the Green Party, it's up to me to convince you to vote for me. And if somehow I failed to do that. You know, I don't know if this is the wrong podcast. I have a story to tell you. <laughs> no, I'm serious. 
Uh, maybe I should just I should just tell it now. I got a call. Yeah. John, your chief of staff knows the story. Yeah. John Richard. Um, I got a call a week, ten days before the election, and um, they knew Florida was going to be very close. And so someone from the Gore campaign called yeah. me and said, um, you're close to Ralph. What could we do to convince him to, yes, tell everybody vote green in California and New York and Texas and wherever it doesn't, you know, it wouldn't hurt the election, um, to ha have him tell Nader voters in Florida to just, to please just in Florida vote for Gore. We want to talk, we want to talk to Ralph. We want to talk to him about, um, you know, just tell us what, what position could Gore think about altering that would be more progressive, whether it was healthcare, uh, union issues, you know, whatever. Um, uh, could we, uh, could we, you know, could we talk to Ralph? Um, I think also they, they had brought up on the phone of, uh, they, would be very interested in talking to you about a cabinet position. So they, so the voters, your supporters would know that you would have a voice in the administration. And I said, well, first of all, you don't know Ralph. There's no quid pro quo with, quo with Ralph. I mean, that's just not, you know, but I know that Ralph is smart enough politically to know that if, if, if you can appoint the right people, if you will, if you will change your position to make it better on healthcare or whatever, uh, I'm, I'm sure he'd, he'd want to talk to you. Um, it's better than that. We pushed minimum wage in Florida, which is a winning issue. Won the referendum, as you know, a few years later. Well, your chief of staff, and he wouldn't do it. Your chief, of, I know, but your chief of staff came back to me and said, "No, yeah. we don't. We don't want to talk." No, uh, but about when I was in Florida, who cares who picks these up? I gave the Democrats, Republicans, the whole platform. Carry, be the author, take the praise. But the one thing they could have won was the minimum wage issue. Because a few years later, up against yes. the Walmarts and all, the people won a referendum Ralph, you've been in right, Florida. You've been right on this stuff forever. Yeah, All the ideas that now I think most people in, in the Democratic Party subscribe to was originated by you. You and Whether it is, we're talking about minimum wage or health care, um, uh, uh, safety issues, environmental issues, you're the OG. You know what that means, the OG? You're like the dude, the original guy. The You got it all going. Back in the 1960s, I mean, people are alive today because you got laws passed with seatbelts and airbags. Literally, thousands more Americans would be dead had not Ralph Nader been on this earth. I mean, that is that your legacy is intact uh, in this way. No, we got to look for the future because they're rolling everything back. But my question Trump to you, is rolling it back. My question to you about 2000 is when there was that week or two there where you, I, said to your chief of staff, yeah. you are literally the most powerful person in America right now because you could actually help solidify Gore's win. And you can get things for us politically that we needed back then. And you, you held that power and you chose not to use it. And I'm just, I'm wondering why. Because, man, that would be the envy, most envious position to be in where you could have said, yes, um, I'll help you in Florida if you'll do this for the people. Well, it would have been looked at very cynically, but I don't have retroactive clairvoyance. I thought he was going to take Florida. Who would ever dream this bumbling governor from Texas who couldn't put three sentences together with a horrible record in Texas against children and pollution and so on would have taken that close. By the way, he lost Florida. You know the recount a year yeah. later with yeah, the yeah. media? Yeah. He lost Florida. The Florida Supreme Court ordered recount that was blocked by Scalia and the Supreme Court 5-4. Yeah. That would have ended up saying he won Florida because, you know, the hanging chags, all the shenanigans. Mm. He won Florida. Who so, would ever dreamed he would so have So you didn't have Florida? a sense that you, held, that no you held this power? No way. Wow. Who would have thought that Bush was going to win to begin with? Because right. he didn't win the popular vote. Right. He lost no. the popular That's vote. right. Anyway. Well, listen, you um, are a hero still uh, to millions and millions of Americans. And regardless whether people have a disagreement about 2000 or whatever, nobody um, will ever fault or say a bad word about how you have spent your life yeah. fighting for people. You, I know you personally. I know what you've given up. 
I, you've, you've not been able to have the life, the normal life that normal people get to have. You've devoted your entire waking moment. And unwaking and, moments. And I'm probably your unwaking. <laughs> I have nightmares. <laughs> but I'm telling you, this man eats really healthy. There's a lot of garlic on the plate. I'm just saying that there's some Lebanese, uh, His yeah. your parents had a restaurant, I think, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, in Connecticut. Yeah. So uh, you were raised in that Lebanese restaurant. You keep eating that Lebanese food, and yeah. you look 20 years younger than I and do. And now so. we, we have the only law museum in the world, my hometown, the American Museum of Tort Law. Tort Law is wrongful injury, sexual assaults, opiates, product defects, contaminated water, food. Tormuseum.org. By the, the way, the Museum. big lesson, the big lesson from 2000 is the Democrats began to scapegoat. Instead of looking in a mirror, saying, why haven't we landslided the worst Republican Party in history? They're looking for scapegoats. They even blamed the little Green Party in 2016, Dr. Stein. So they got to start looking in the mirror. I think that has happened, Ralph. Yeah. I think it happened in in 2018 in the off-year election and you're sitting right here we are right here outside the place where the democrats are standing up and doing what we need them to do and this man has to go that guy who has our oval office our white house that he has got to go and i would just i just want to believe i know this is a crazy thought that the senate hey how about this trump you can keep the majority of Republican senators. There's 53 of them. You can keep 33 of them. You have the majority. But I, I want to believe that of the 20 that are left, that there's 10 of them that are in the Mitt Romney sort of thinking where I do believe they have actual core beliefs, religious beliefs, mm -hmm. and Trump must seem like the devil to them oh, sure. when they're not in front of a camera or a microphone. They know who he is. That's 10 of that, those Republicans. And another 10, just for own, their own self-interest. If they don't vote to remove him, we're going to remove them come November. Watch what's going to happen. I mean, if, if, if there's one prediction I feel good about is that we're going to have a Democratic Senate next year, and it's going to be maybe by more than just the three we're going to need to flip it. Um, and I think, those Dem I think those Republicans who are on the edge of possibly being tossed, they know it too. And this is their moment to, to take a stand for righteousness. And so in my, in my fantasy world, those 20 Republicans, mm -hmm. they come, they, frankly, I think all we need to do, all we need is a subpoena to see what else they put on that server in the White House than the Ukraine call. They've been putting shit on that server, Ralph, for three years. It's an opportunity They've for- They've been hiding stuff there. Yeah. I want to know what's there because I think when the American people hear the other calls yeah. that are there, they won't need a map to go find out where, because nobody, you know, nobody knows where Ukraine is. But when the American public hears what else is on there, it will be so audacious. That th think of all the emails where he's, he's done in the American worker, the American consumer- Patience. Not just the emails and the tweets. I'm talking about yeah. this is this yeah. is Republicans, if you're listening, man, you, you, you ever hear of the Whigs? You're in an implosive moment. And um, I don't think you know just how bad it's going to be for you. And we actually don't want to tell you how bad it's going to be because then you might actually do something. Uh, but I think we'd rather you do the right thing and remove Trump. We'd be, we'd be willing to have a, a, maybe the Senate will be, you know, 51, 49, you know, but you remove him, you might save yourselves. Maybe. Yeah. I, I believe in redemption, Ralph, including for you and for me. And All you're right? okay with a penny for your pence. <laughs> a penny for your pants. <laughs> Listen, don't be afraid of Mike Pence. All right. If, if he ends up being the candidate, uh, he'll be the easiest person uh, to defeat. Uh, Make sure he doesn't have dinner with a woman who isn't his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, geez, I don't even want to go there, Ralph. Um, we've been talking to Ralph Nader here on my podcast. This is Michael Moore. You're listening to Rumble with Michael Moore. Ralph, we got to get back over to the gallery okay. and uh, and see what's going on over there. And I and I got and I have to have my who's the who's the Roman that uh, I guess any of them right uh, Nero Caligula. Caligula. Well, I'm not going there, Ralph either. <laughs> Ralph, when, this is what happens. When, when, 
when you pass. How old are you now, Ralph? How old are you? Seriously? I don't say. No, come on. We can look it up. There is Google. The only true aging is the erosion of your ideals. Yeah, you're sharp as a tack, first of all. And number two, um, you have never eroded any of your ideals. Thank you very and much, Mike. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having a conscience, and thank you for fighting for the rest of us, and we love you for it. Yeah. Never you forget too. that. You too. Well, there's jury still out on me, but thank you for what you've done. Thank you, Mike. All right, let's get back over uh, to the House of Representatives. And off I went, back to the House of Representatives, where I was able to sit there in the gallery, watch the debate and the vote, and witness the third only president ever impeached in the history of the United States that night. But on the way back home, um, I thought a lot about this conversation with Ralph. And I thought, yes, I look, that's just who I am. I believe in redemption. I believe it's ridiculous to hold grudges and anger and hatred and animosity, even to the people that do wrong, even to the people that do things that we disagree with. But I went another, I went another step in my thinking about this. What is it that we disagree with, with Ralph Nader? He, he, since the 1960s, has been doing this, fighting, fighting, fighting for the person that, that doesn't have what the rich have, fighting for people's safety, fighting for economic justice. And while I or you may not like decisions he's made or things he's done or ways he's behaved or whatever, um, you know, as Al Gore said to me, I don't blame Ralph Nader. I blame myself. Um, it was Gore's job to win that election to convince people to vote for him. And all Ralph did was do what any free citizen could do in any democracy, which is run for office. And that's what he did. And he stood for the things that he always stood for. He stands for those things today. And... Um, you know, my heart is, um, has the room uh, to make peace with Ralph Nader and to welcome him into joining our fight to remove Donald Trump from the White House and to get somebody in there who's going to fight for the things that we all believe in. We have no other choice and there is no time to be living in the past right now. We have to be all about the next minute the next hour february 3rd in iowa february 11th in new hampshire super tuesday the whole bit this whole spring my friends all of us have to get busy and i welcome ralph nader to be part of this ralph nader thank you and thanks to those of you who were willing to listen to my little rant here about forgiveness and redemption and um, knowing who's on whose side here and welcoming them. That's it. That's it for tonight. Thank you. Thank you.